Support for the Soccer Fitness Experience is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in the business for men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Now, Manscaped just sent us their Performance Package 4.0, and boys from personal experience, trust me when I say that, your balls will thank you. If you want to have the best below-the-waist grooming experience on Earth and support this show, join us and over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with an exclusive offer. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with promo code SOCCER20 at manscaped.com. That's manscaped.com, promo code SOCCER20. What is up, soccer players? Welcome to this latest episode of the Soccer Fitness Experience. It is me, your co-host, Andy, with my main man, Berg. Berg, how you doing today, bro? Fresh, rejuvenated. Oh. Told you, came back from Mexico. Six-day vacation, bro. I am nice. Like, I, just, oh. I could use another week, but, you know, you got I got to make some money. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I need to go back to work, but... Mexico was nice, man. The water was warm. Food was food was unbelievable. And on deck too. Like mm. I it's funny. I go to Mexico and you know, I've I've never felt hunger. <laughs> I've never felt hunger at the resort. Like food food is on deck, man. I, I it felt I needed that. That was that was a nice a nice vacation that that I was definitely needed. How about you, man? Um, How are you doing, doing, man? Doing good. Life is good. Um, no surprise to you or maybe any other listeners that have been listening for a while, but I am I'm moving again. Uh, I'm moving back home for like another month or two, then moving back here to Hoboken. So uh, I feel like I'm always on the move, but like that's just my life, you know. I hear that. Yeah, but uh, life is good, man. Life is good. Um, it is a a Thursday night. I don't know if we ever recorded on Thursday night. No, we before. never recorded on Thursday. It's usually either Monday, Tuesday, or Sunday. It's 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 it's, it's never on Thursday. Yeah, but um, we're recording on a Thursday because we have a a very special guest. Um, and this guest is is working with us on a on a partnership between um her organization and our podcast. Um, we have Jessica Schwartz from Concussion Corner and Concussion Corner Academy. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. And yeah, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Gentlemen, thank you so much. I'm, I'm happy to be the first Thursday night uh, recording yes. person here. So I'm I'm super stoked to kind of you know open your world to what a Thursday evening does. That's always when the best night of television was. So uh, hopefully that's that's for <laughs> podcasts too. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for having me, um, Andy. It's a pleasure. I've you know I've seen you on the social media for quite a minute, and it's so nice to be able to connect and. Um, also invite you in to be one of our students for the fall. So I'm super stoked to have your perspective and uh, have you mix in with our interdisciplinary and inter- international community. So uh, I'm super stoked to get to know you uh, through the podcast and also through, you know, as a student, you know, beyond the social media world. Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're super pumped to have you on as well. And you mentioned a little bit with the course, but why don't you kind of tell like the listeners, like who you are, what you do for work and we, we have a lot of different people listening from soccer players to coaches to PTs. Um, just kind of give them some background as to like what you do. Absolutely. So I'm a physical therapist first. Um, I love being a physical therapist. I wanted to be a physical therapist when I was 15 years old. Um, I was basically told by my mom's friend who was a, my mom's a social worker, single mom, you know, doing all she did, you know, raising me. And um 
her her friend and colleague who was a physician, he was like, you're going to be a physical therapist. And if you know me uh, today, if anyone tells me what to do, I kind of like look at them sideways, like, wait a second, where did this come from? You know, I want to understand the rationale. And it was so simple. I was sitting on this man's kitchen floor as a kid in high school. And I said, okay. He's like, you shouldn't be, you know, behind a desk. I can't see you. You're athletic. You, you know, you're captain of four sports in high school and, Jeez. you know, all this jazz and, you know, you should be a physical therapist. And literally there was nothing else ever in my head. You know, the seed was planted. It was cultivated. Um, I had a learning disability growing up as a kid. So I kind of went the long way to get my doctorate. And I was the first six of in New York City um, at NYU to get my residency in orthopedics. And, um, you know, we, we rocked it. And so I'm a physical therapist first. Um, I am also a brain injury survivor. I was hit by a car in 2013 by an unlicensed driver. Oh, uh, and yep. And I was uh, hustling, as we all do as young physios, to get those loans paid and, you know, so on and so forth. And I had a, I had a dream job. Um, and I still speak very positively, positively about that clinic and the four clinics that they still have in Jersey. And I was reverse commuting. And it was my off day. And I was, you know, always hustling. I was a personal trainer at Crunch for a minute uh, to get through grad school. And um, I was also seeing, you know, clients on the side, you know, private clients uh, training wise while I was in, in grad school. And I remember I picked up my iPhone 5 or my iPhone 5S. I forget which which one it was, but stopped at Best Buy uptown and after a uh, 7 a.m. patient or client. And uh, I got hit by an unlicensed driver uh, from behind. And um the rest was history. I, I did 10 to 14 hours of rehab a week for 14 months. Ooh, oh, um, wow. Wow. Yeah. That is, oh, we're going to get into that. that I want to know. Yeah. About, about that. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So I did did all that. I, I lost my junior partnership. And that was kind of, you know, all the things I worked hard for. And I kind of just been recreating myself ever since. And um, the rest is history. And uh, something similar happened, to, you know, in my trajectory during COVID that we were on the front lines here in New York City, and I lost 94% of my practice. Uh, they oh passed away due to COVID. They didn't like move. She got caught up. Oh. Jess, I think you might be on mute right now. Yep, we're just the last thing I just heard because I just screwed up your whole. You said um, you lost 90% of your practice. Okay, I'll start again. Um, give a clap, Andy, on your end because I can't clap with my dogs in the house. They freak out, and then okay. I'll, I'll go. All right. So yeah, so during COVID, um, I lost 94% of my practice, unfortunately. People passed away. I had patients mm -hmm. no less than four years, some 11. And that was a pretty emotional time. And, and that was the time that I needed to just pull the trigger. And I was all in on myself. And I said, okay, we're going to take this podcast, which is a hobby, and we're going to turn it into a full-blown academy that's CEU'd all over the country and internationally. And we're going to, I'm going to bet on myself. So here we are. We're on the podcast together now. That's crazy. Wow. It's 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 so funny how everyone's story just kind of like took a turn during the pandemic. Either people got worse or people realized their full potential because of the pandemic and they were forced to actually bet on themselves. Um, and it's it's you'll be surprised with just how many s stories are similar to you, not in terms of like people like just betting on themselves and starting their own businesses. Like uh, it's a, a lot of it stem from that even me just starting a coaching business on the side stem from uh just just the been seeing all my friends just losing their jobs and i was like oh it's like this is not good i i, I gotta 
I got to do something else. I got to have something on the side. And the, the fact that you're able to bet on yourself is actually great. And it yeah. speaks to, um, the, you know, just, just you telling your story. It's just like, I'm like, oh, yeah, she's from New York. <laughs> she's, from, <laughs> she's from New York. Like, she's like hustling everywhere. Like, yeah, you, you're definitely from New York. Like, you got, you got the, the, the New York spirit in you for sure. Mm. Yes, no, I, def I definitely know how to hustle and grind and it's always been in me. And um, yes, I forgot to say, I'm also one of our national spokeswomen for the American Physical Therapy Association. So I do take great pride in that. We just um, redid a contract um, for three years with them. So I'm, I'm super stoked to represent folks as uh, as for all the things. So as Latina, as a woman-owned minority-owned business in New York City, as you know, an LGBTQ community. So uh, I'm, I'm stoked to kind of just represent. And I, I just love what I do. And I hope that comes through the, the podcast mic here. And I hope we can get some people to learn some things in the next uh, 15, 20 minutes. Absolutely. I'm yeah. looking to learn a few things from you uh, just to your story alone. Yeah, and I, I can really I can feel your your passion for for concussion and and brain injury through the through the mic and the earpods here. But I mean, let let's say you have a a soccer player or a soccer coach in front of you, and you had to describe to them what a concussion is. Um, what what would that conversation sound like? What what would you describe to them a concussion is? Absolutely. And it's so nice that you said a soccer player or a coach. And because we have to keep these definitions so simple and we have to keep that KISS principle and we have to be really direct um, because unlike cancer or unlike other like rheumatoid arthritis or other complex um, injuries or um, disease processes, people seem to be very confident in their thought processes on what they perceive of concussion. And I call that perceived confidence. So when I speak mm -hmm. to folks, it needs to be very, um, very very direct, but very kind and rapport filled as well. So I need to understand who's in front of me and what their perceived knowledge base is. Because if they've seen every ESPN um, podcast or article and listened to Stefania Bell and um, watched the concussion movie, um, they seem to have this perceived competence. Again, it's kind of like what we used to do back in the day. You know, we didn't mm -hmm. drink water. We, we didn't hydrate folks. We didn't we got back into the game same day, you know, from 2006 data from the NFL. So, so we go from there. Understanding as Dr. Schwartz that I understand there's over 43 working definitions of concussion and only one of them is evidence-based. And I'll say that twice because mm -hmm. it's really important. There's over 43 working definitions of concussion. One of them is evidence-based. So what we need to do is keep it really simple. And we just need to say that, hey, concussion is a type of brain injury. And it happens anytime your head, neck, or body receives a blow or jolt um, that causes symptom. And that symptom list is, you know, a long list of symptoms, but anything from, you know, a headache to dizziness to just seeming out of it to your players reporting something, we can talk about that. But, um, but yeah, yeah. So I keep it really simple. A concussion is a, a, a blow or jolt to the head, neck, or body that causes symptom. Hmm. That's interesting. You said it's only one that's evidence-based. We all the other ones were not. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's, that's especially tough for I think players and coaches to to really comprehend because let's say that they want to be progressive and they want to go out and learn on their own. They could open you're you're saying like forty two, forty three different medical dictionaries, and a lot mm -hmm. of them aren't aren't accurate. And you know. Concussion is, is one that's very different because the, like you mentioned, the definition is constantly changing. 
and every two, three, four years, there's more things coming out. So um, I, I think it's wonderful to have someone like you on this podcast to really break down the more recent things that are coming out. Um, and kind of with that, a lot of things have changed and there's a lot of myths that have that have gone throughout the years involving concussions and players and coaches. What are some things that you think many players and coaches believe to be true about concussion? And are they actually true? Like, what are the myths that are out there? Well, there's a ton of myths out there. And I just want to preface um, for folks that are soccer players and coaches, there's something called the Concussion Recognition Tool 5. It's the CRT, uh, the Concussion Recognition Tool 5. Um, and, you know, when I was at the FIFA uh, meeting here in New York City at the Marriott in Times Square, um, we really need to push these out um, so people know that these things exist. One, they're free. All you need to do is just Google concussion recognition tool. It comes from the British Journal of Sports Medicine. It's a free open access PDF. I believe in free open access foam ed, uh, medical education, foam ed, free open, free open access. And that's a perfect thing for a coach or a player or um, a ref to just have in their, in their pocket. And it has everything from red flags to symptoms and memory assessments and things like that. So you don't need to be a doctor to administer these things. In terms of myths, um, yeah, I mean, uh, let's let's go at get after it. Myths and facts. I mean, there are zero uh, phase three clinical trials that um, exist for TBI, traumatic brain injury. Um, so that's number one. So again, we have to come at this with a very humble approach that we may not be in the basement anymore. We might be in like the first or second floor, but we're certainly not in the penthouse with this kind of information. You know, cancer gets trillions of dollars and we get hundreds of millions of dollars to do research every year with concussion and, and, and brain injury combined. Those are combined things. Um, another one is that you have to lose consciousness for concussion. You do not need to lose consciousness. It's very, very important. In fact, we often find that there is a protective mechanism for whatever reason we do not understand. I mean, we have some um, things, but I won't get into that for this, the length of this podcast, but we find that there is a protective me mechanism for loss of consciousness for long-term things, mm -hmm. uh, long-term outcomes uh, or deficits, I should say, persistent post-concussive symptoms. Um and let's see what else. A third one would be um, that it's just a concussion, you know, and, and, I, and I say this in, in the best intention I can. We, we don't say a, a bout of diarrhea is just diarrhea, right? You know, that's a pretty significant moment in somebody's life. <laughs> that is the life. perfect way to describe it because diarrhea <laughs> yeah. is not just a diarrhea. Um, yeah. I'm stealing that one. So yeah, yeah. I feel you. Yeah, Bergen, Bergen. I know you were in Cancun. I don't know if you had the water, but you know, I went. <laughs> I went. I went to in December. I was in Colombia, and the last day I caught food poisoning. You Let got me it. Tell yep. you, a diarrhea is not <laughs> just a diarrhea. <laughs> just yeah. like, it's so, it's it's bad. Yeah. So we're 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 letting people know that concussions are brain injuries, and that they are cumulative. Um, they do stack up on each other in terms of symptoms, and that um, there is something called. Um, we're trying to get, and you guys are in the scoop now, so we're trying to get away of the term post-concussive syndrome because syndrome, there's just so many negative connotations with the word syndrome, both for the patient and for the like our own cognitive biases in medicine. So we're trying to shift over to PPCS, so it's persistent post-concussive symptoms. So they may not be forever. They may be long-lasting. I have long-lasting symptoms for mm you know, almost nine years now, but, um, oh, wow. PPCS persistent post-concussive symptoms. So we're trying to move towards that. So yes, you can get persistent symptoms. And what we find 
there was a 2015 Henry et al. article on that on average adults were actually taking about 28 days to recover. So what we're finding with the NCAA Department of Defense, we're actually finding that we are keeping NCAA athletes out a minimum of 21 days um, instead of the old adage of seven days. Um, Mm. There was no evidence-based um, guidelines for a seven day return to play, um, which was the number one most, um, um, referenced article from 2002, another NCAA article that they actually debunked because again, we need to know what we're looking at. So we know what we're looking for. And we now know some of those things with concussion. So they restructured these studies, um, with the world's first prospective study on concussion. And, um, we're actually finding that we're taking three and four weeks to return athletes back to play, um, because those seven day to 10 day guidelines from 2002 were based solely off of Friday night football. Kid gets out Friday night. They need to get back on Thursday. Boom. Seven days is Friday. They're returned to play. So there was no evidence based there. And we're, we're taking a rehabilitative approach and a, a comprehensive targeted physical examination approach to these players and athletes so that we know like, hey, is there anything lingering or are they just seemingly off? Um, and from, from my thing, the number one thing that I speak about all over the world uh, is that when I had my brain injury is that we do not have the subjective language to express the what and how we feel when we have a brain injury. And I'm going to say that twice because it's so good. We do not have the subjective language to express the what and how we feel with brain injury. So with that being said, you can't ask a kid, how you're feeling? How you doing? You need to do an objective assessment and measurement on these folks. That's true. Especially if, well, if, <clears throat> if both coach and, and pe- coach parents and kids in general just don't exactly know what concussion is. And you ask the kid how they feel. Like it's, it's just like you're asking them out of thin air to just like grab on some vocabulary. They, they don't, they don't know. Like you, they don't even know like what they're supposed to feel. Yes. Yeah. And then the and thing. all too often that has been misdiagnosed um, historically in, in um, concussion for the last hundred years. The medical legal literature has gotten a hold of this injury before the physical rehabilitation literature and the medical legal literature has called these folks crazy or it's all in their head or malingering. And it mm-hmm. is our job day one to believe our patients and do objective measures on them. And concussion is a clinical diagnosis only. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Clinical so, diagnosis only. Huh. Let's let's dive into that. I'm gonna actually write that down. Because I'm, I'm thinking about in, it. Because uh, as you just as you talking, I'm I'm just thinking back just thinking back of all the you know, the athletes and just the, your average people that have come to my clinic and, and have signs of concussion and just just talking to him and, and get him to understand, um get him to actually tell me if if they've feeling a particular way, um, asking just like specific question and just to see, like, just, just hearing that just made me want to kind of like change and, and alter some other way that I conduct, um, just, just my, um, diagnosis tool for concussion. Mm. Totally. And that's the first step is, is self-awareness, right? As a, as a doctoral level clinician, right, Berg? So, you know, we're coming into patients and we have to be um, 
satiated enough with ourselves and secure enough with our own ego. And if you come into Concussion Corner Academy, we say, you know, we have to sit your ego on the floor. We're here to learn together and to participate together. And you are going to learn from the world's best. However, we need to be able to be open-minded to learn from one another. And again, if you keep doing something the way you've been doing it, that's just the, the, the definition of crazy. Yeah. Um, and I don't use that term lightly. So um, most folks don't know how to do this. Um, another, um, you know, fact that we'll share with you is that 2015 was the first formal didactic year that uh, neurology residents had training in concussion and brain injury. Oh, no way. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, we, we need to connect to, okay. Um, you Why know, is that? Well, this is, this is, just think about what you just said. Like, you know, this with the whole, uh, a, a movie with Will Smith and the NFL and, and all this, this brain injury that happened in, in the NFL, you would think there will be a lot of study <laughs> behind this. You tell me, it's 2015? Yeah, 2015 was the first formal academic year in which formal training for TBI and concussion was part of a neurology residency. And that was taken place within the behavioral neurology section of a, uh, the sports neurology section of the American Academy of Neurology. Oh, so, stigma. yeah. The, it, yeah. There's a so, huge stigma with concussion. That's, that's probably why it, it's taken so long to actually get buzz. Right. So again, we have these brain injury doctors. And again, this is a place to build up, not to tear down. But again, they may not be connected to the rehabilitative side of things. And if you look at the historical nature of the American Physical Therapy Association, we were literally in the trenches during World War One during a pandemic. It just happens to be a um, hundred year cycle, you know, treating brain injury. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, if you reflect back to your neurology, you know, um, you know, 101, when you're doing your internship, you know, as a doctoral student, um, you know, you have to think back, you know, what are we doing with the ICU? We're getting brain injured patients up. We're getting them moving. We're connecting their Foley bags to our belts, to our scrubs. We're getting them up. We're getting them moving. We're, we're exercising them. We're, we're monitoring them with pace-graded exposure and, and monitoring them physiologically and neurologically and, and vestibularly. So how are, and orthopedically. So how are we telling patients to rest for concussion? Um, so that's where we talk about concussion being a rehabilitative injury. That's a great comparison. That is that is deep because it's literally like what you describe. It's like similar to uh, well, I don't want to say similar, but it's kind of like strength and conditioning physical therapy. Like strength and conditioning is at the higher level. Like if you're treating like patient in a brain injury unit, like that's the higher level, and then you go to the sport part, which is, I don't say it's, it's at a lower level, but it's the same thing. Like it should be the same approach, not different. Yeah. Different levels of involvement for sure in terms of severity. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still a very similar thought process into, okay, how are we subjectively evaluating folks? How are we visually, vestibularly, ocularly, uh, spinally, uh, orthopedically evaluating folks. So that's kind of where all the, the tests and tools and measures, which is why concussion is a clinical diagnosis only. There is no test tool uh, or pill you can take for concussion or TBI. Hmm. Now, going going back to the, the beautiful game of, of soccer for a little bit, um, more recently, there, there have been some rule changes and they've been some attempted rule changes. And I, do you do you have a background in soccer, by the way? Like, what's kind of your background with the game, just so we know before we go into it? 
Uh, oh, ironically, I will, I'll share this with you. The last time I played soccer was in eighth grade in Central Park. Um, and that was one of my second or third concussions. And I was a basketball player, tennis player, volleyball, boys, baseball player. I played all the things. Soccer was not my thing. Using the feet mm, just wasn't it. Mm. However, I was big. I was like five, nine in middle school and they were like, okay, let's put her on all the teams. So I put, <laughs> was playing middle school soccer, boys soccer. And, uh, I was a, they put me on defense and whew, uh, got a soccer goal kick to the back of the head in the middle Oy. of Central Park, and it was lights out. Oh, um, and yeah, it was it was wild. So that was the last time I played soccer. Um, but I, you know, I've been to the FIFA, um, uh, the FIFA, the meetings and things like that for concussion. Um, I participated a lot of with a lot of folks internationally, and then um, from an American football standpoint. Um, I hosted the um, Concussion Brain Health Summit at the 2018 Super Bowl in Minnesota. So that was pretty dope to do uh, from an American football standpoint. Hmm, that is cool. Um, now, I, me and Berg share this in common. We, we fell in love with soccer before physical therapy and rehab. And That's it's, awesome. it's tough for us, at least for me, Berg, to, to change the rules about anything. And whenever people bring up rule true. changes, I, I get it's visceral. It's yeah, it's like oh, I don't, like, I don't want. What are you do doing to the game? Like yeah. the game, it was perfect the way it was. Like don't change exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, um, <laughs> and even like when so soccer recently went from um, three substitutions to five substitutions. Even that, I was like, oh, like oof. And uh, a few years ago, people started bringing up. Uh, the concept of a temporary substitute if a player had a brain injury because the, mm -hmm. that evaluation does take some time. Um, and I, I want to hear kind of your perspective as someone yeah, who is a, a pure clinician and really doesn't have too much of a heart-to-heart a -heart investment in the game. Like, what are your thoughts on a temporary substitute to allow the medical staff to have enough time to do a proper evaluation. That's Absolutely. Yeah, I'm totally for it. So here's the issue is that if we just go by the old adage that we're um, connected to with Ben and Peter Robinson, uh, Ben Robinson was a 14-year-old boy who played rugby in Scotland. Uh, and I know his father through social media and very connected to his story and Rowan Stringer, who was a a uh, 14-year-old or a uh, 15-year-old maybe girl mm -hmm. who also passed away due to second impact syndrome. So there's really nothing worth, um, you know, there's no World Cup, there's no award or, you know, ribbon that you can, or any amount of money that you can win. Uh, and you can, the testament is also to, you know, players that I know, like Taylor Twelman and Aleko Escadrian and a lot of those folks that I, I know quite well, um, that play professional soccer or played professional soccer. And there is nothing worth living your day-to-day -day life miserable and unable to negotiate your day-to-day -day, um, ADLs. So for me, the hard, the hard stop is when in doubt, set them out, you cannot return back to the game. However, with these Buffalo concussion physical exam, um, you know, protocols and visuo-vestibular exams and other, you know, three to five or seven minutes or less um, sideline design for sideline evaluations. Um, I'm totally for that. Evaluate the patient there. You don't use this if the patient needs, like if the, if the player needs a, um, like a, like a break, there needs to be a mechanism of injury. There needs to be a collision head or body or neck to, 
to player, to ball, or to ground, um, or to post, uh, bottom line. So there needs to be a mechanism first. Uh, and then two, um, if there's any loss of consciousness, there's no question that player is out of the game. But if there is any question as to whether there is a concussion or not, because quite frankly, not every time you hit your head, there's a concussion. And that's very important to connect to. There doesn't need to be this doom and gloom. However, if there are signs and symptoms, the player does look dazed or confused, there does need to be an evaluation that happens. And with the way in which the game is, I, I actually do support substitutes because then that means that the player is automatically not taken out of the game for good. So there is a chance for them to go back by a licensed healthcare professional. And I say that very intentionally, not necessarily a physician, that we can't just have physicians on the sidelines. So we have athletic trainers, we have sports physical therapists trained in sideline, we have um, sports medicine physicians on the sideline, um, and folks that are on the sideline. I do not encourage, uh, while I support them being present, you know, we should not be having... Um, uh, like paramedics doing this type of evaluation. Mm. So as long as someone in the sports medicine team is doing this, yeah, give them the three to five minutes to do a generalized assessment that's very, from a specificity standpoint, to get it done, put the temporary player in, understanding what the rule is, maybe the rules, um, and, and we've seen rules change player outcomes and injury rates just simply based off of the the kickoff with American football, you know, moving back with like 40 yard line stuff. And that was all done by based off of research out of University of North Carolina, you know, with, um, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Oh, golly. Um, I can't think of his name, but he's the dean there now. So all of these, 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 this research has actually changed the way in which we play games for safety, for longevity. And at the end of the day, you have one brain. So if you are unable to function your through day to day, remembering how to, you know, the steps to put your coffee together or follow step-by-step -step directions from a GPS or multitask, dual task, we see all of these long-term um, issues in players that have had repetitive head injuries and there's just nothing worth um, having these long-term symptoms. So so I'm I'm for the uh, the substitution. Hmm. So before your your description and the new testing that you described of the three to five minutes, um, I I was under the impression that and this is probably an old standard of the whole scat four scat five, which would take mm -hmm. anywhere from seven to ten whatever minutes. And with that in mind, I was thinking, longer. yeah, it's, it's quite a long time. And with that, I'm like, okay, like temporary sub. But to, to be completely honest, as a viewer and as a player, if it's three to five minutes, Berg, what do you think? Like, can well, we just stop the game and add the time on at the end? Like, what, what are your thoughts for, on that? For one player? I don't know about that for one player. Um, I think it's better to, as the players on the sideline or in the locker room um, getting evaluated, they can put that temporary player in and the game still continue. Of course, mm -hmm. you... Or the coach has to also change their strategy, have some sort of strategy in place just in case this happens so they can use the substitutions wisely. Um, now, I, there's a little bit of um, ego bruise here for the, that, that, that player that got substituted because think about it. If, if the injured player comes back, now you have to leave the game. <laughs> it's like, all right, man. It's like, all right, bro, I, I took your spot here. You can have it back. There's a there's an ego here in terms of like, oh man, you really have to like, you just got in and you imagine you 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 got substituted, right? Ronaldo uh, got a Ronaldo got hit, right? And they evaluate him for concussion, and then a substitute come in and play for Ronaldo, right? 
and that substitute score a goal and he's on fire within that five minutes that he's been on there. And Ronaldo comes back and you're like, you you have to eat, go eat the bench again. Like that, that's gonna be a, a ego bruise here for the player. But in terms of uh, if I'm putting my clinical hat on, um, yeah, it, it's it's a wise decision. Assuming, of course, um, I'm assuming this new rule is is probably been put because there's some sort of like uh, new assessment um, that that they've been doing. Yeah, the, this rule is actually it was brought forward to IFAB, which is the the governing body that this pretty much decides all the rules of the game. And um, mm-hmm. it was actually it was voted down and it was rejected um, because they said essentially with the new rule of five substitutions, there's a lot of changes going on. We need to look at it a little bit more to see how effective it'll be. Um, mm-hmm. But a- another rule that that did pass and that is a thing in certain leagues now. Um, substitutions for confirmed concussions, pretty much el- eliminating the the lack of incentive. If a player has a concussion and you're out of subs, and it's like, man, I only had three and I used all three, and my my starting right back has maybe a brain injury, but they're pushing me to play, and I don't want to play with ten men. It's a cup final. Um, they actually did pass a rule saying that it is okay to make uh, substitutions just for concussions. Uh, I'm going to essentially read the rule right now just so yeah, everybody that's a, that's can. That's a slippery slope there. It's, yeah. It, like, <laughs> oh, again, and this is when me oh, and you were like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't but, know. Uh, but we're going to read the rule. And then, Jess, I would love to hear your opinion again as as a pure clinician who sees these, uh, these types of injuries a lot. And um, so essentially the rule is this. Each team will be permitted to make two concussion substitutions only during instances of suspected concussion. A concussion is a substitution that can be made immediately after a concussion occurs or is suspected, after an on-field assessment, and or off-field assessment, or any other time when a con- when a concussion occurs or is suspected. This includes when a player has previously been assessed and has returned to the field of play. Um, essentially, what that rule says is if you think a player is concussed, you can sub them out at any time whatsoever and it won't go against your three or five substitutions and if this does happen by the way the other team does get a substitution that they can use unconditionally um berg what do you think and and after that we'll hear from jess as to what she thinks Uh, i don't know i just think it's a slippery slope because now they can justify that same rule for any other injury Right, like oh ACL, that's a career ending yeah, injury. But see, mm. I disagree because, and I'll just jump in real quick: is uh-huh. that that there's a delayed symptom onset with concussion. Hmm. So, and there's no perfect science to diagnose that concussion as it's a clinical diagnosis. And if there's a delayed symptom onset that you know comes down after the adrenaline goes away, um, and neurological signs and symptoms, or orthopedic signs and symptoms, or just conf- confusion from a cognitive standpoint show up, those can be delayed. So, whereas like if usually if someone's got like a high ankle sprain or an ACL, you know, it's it's a wrap. So, yeah, I feel like players gonna have to be educated a lot about concussion just to get everybody on board. Um, but we'll see. They they do have to test this out. Uh, I just feel like in any games, <laughs> those rules can be bent. Um, you know, I, I may not I, be I've... right about about how this rule is gonna be bent, but <laughs> if it's established, somebody's gonna take advantage of that rule. <laughs> I don't know how I... it's gonna come out, but usually <laughs> in in any 
those cases like it happens. I've seen this rule actually in action at a um at an MLS youth game because it's it's in place for for all of soccer including MLS's academy teams and it is it is respected honestly. Mm. Um I I I think that when it comes to this kinds of stuff and I mean kids make up the majority of soccer players on the planet. It is kids, you know, they're smart but I don't know if they're smart enough to kind of fake their way out of these, especially if they're at a club where they're dealing with medical professionals that see them every day and that know them. Um, I, I've seen a few concussed kids like straight during the game. And for me, it's, it's relatively clear for the most part. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's tough to abuse that, I think. But um, Jess, what else do you think about this, this rule here? Yeah, I think, you know, we really push with youth sports and youth soccer in particular. Um, I am for heading uh, under 14. So I do, uh, I'm a part of that movement for soccer uh, on an international level. So we try to just, um, you know, remove heading from the game uh, before 14. So we are uh, for that, a bunch of uh, women's professional soccer players uh, like Cindy Parlocone and a few others. um, uh, We all agree on that, you know, Chris Nowinski and things like that. Um, in terms of, you know, educating players, you know, I think it takes one kid to see another kid suffer. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think also for a coach or parents. And so what we really do is educate the whole team and empower them to say like, Hey, you're not a snitch. You know, if little Jimmy is running down the, the opposite field or they just don't seem right, or they just something's off, just report that to your coach or your trainer. Uh, if that's a thing, or to another player or a, a grown-up. And that has really worked out wonderfully in the youth soccer movement for the most part. Um, I really haven't had any um, any bite back with that um, from a research clinician, um, you know, community education level. Oh, yeah. And real quick, before we go on to break here, before we get into part two, can you kind of describe the whole under 14 initiative and what the goal with that is and and specifically why you support it. Sure. Um, So part of it is, let me just pull up the document. Um, And and I know that U S club soccer has like, you know, um, uh, you know, has put this forth and limited hending and practice for players in 12 and under. So, um, Essentially, it's a consent thing. So most most children do not want to head the soccer ball. They're actually afraid of it. I don't care who you are, but if you're five to ten, you do not want to head a soccer ball. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, you're usually afraid of the ball. They're also heading the ball incorrectly. Um, so just like a Tommy John injury, we have data on uh, grown men, you know, playing Major League Baseball. You know, if you're pitching over a hundred count, we have data on that for injury surveillance. Um, it's no different than head injuries. Uh, repetitive head injuries are cumulative over time, and most of them are not diagnosed. So with that being said, um, it's the same thing with consent with soccer. We know, and there's there's great research from Willie Stewart out of, out of uh, Scotland that actually shows that if you're heading a soccer ball immediately and within days, we actually see changes in cognitive decline and, and uh, brain uh, scans. So... 
why are we exposing our children? It's, it's a simply an exposure issue to, you know, greater than 15 to 20 headers, you know, per player per week. It's just like a, a, a it's like smoking, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you know, a per pack, a smoke per pack per day, you know, that's cumulative overtime for your lungs. It's the same thing with heading a soccer ball. Are they heading it correctly? Um, you know, uh, again, most places don't have an athletic trainer on the sideline. Um, you know, so, Right now, where players under 11 shall not engage in heading in this country, um, per U.S. Club Soccer, um, they want limited heading and practice for 12 and 13 uh, under programs, so no more than 15 to 20 headers per week, uh, per player per week. Um, and you know, if we just fast forward that and look at football, college football, um, the University of Dartmouth, an Ivy League education institution, has eliminated tackle practice from their from their their own practices because we actually find that tackle football in practice um, is actually higher um, higher G forces than in actual games and you're like attacking mm-hmm. your own players. So mm-hmm. why are we exposing folks to this type of uh, to, to these type of unnecessary forces? Um, you know, just enjoy the game. Um, and then, yeah, start training them and coaching them on how to properly head, how to collide in the air, how to use their body uh, kinesthetically and proprioceptively aware. Um, but under under 11, for, for sure, the heck not, in my opinion. Um, but that's also, you know, with U.S. club soccer. And that's also from a lot of our voices out there. You know, we have that hashtag going, you know, no heading under uh, 14. I forget the actual uh, ha- hashtag. But um so yeah, it's it really just comes down to an exposure issue, and and we see the the data and research for you know chronic traumatic encephalopathy with you know these people um, with high suicide rates and post traumatic uh, stress syndrome and cognitive behavioral uh, issues. And at the end of the day, you don't need to be a doctor of anything. You just know if you look at that person that played soccer or football or, or some kind of um, rugby, they're just not right. And you have that weird uncle or aunt, and they and, and that could be the thing. They had repetitive head injuries, and and I won't get into it too much because it's a soccer thing. But we see the same thing with domestic violence and intimate partner violence with strangulations and, and abuse. Mm. So it just becomes down to an exposure issue. So why are we exposing kids who do not have consent, um, you know, to something that can be potentially harmful, and that we are aware of that as adults? That that is that is a great that point. And from from the soccer perspective. Um, at the youth level, especially U14, it's all about technical skill. And it's, right. you're not going to be recruited as a 14 year old because you're heading. So uh, to that point, there's, there's a lot of other things you can work on. Um, guys, don't go anywhere. We're about to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, VTrue, but stay tuned if you're a clinician, especially for part two, where we're going to answer a few more clinician specific questions. So don't go anywhere. VTrue is a reliable, affordable, an easy-to-use velocity-based training system that allows sports medicine staff to monitor and evaluate an athlete's performance in the gym. There are so many scientific papers supporting velocity-based training, showing how athletes can get stronger, more powerful, and reduce their injury risk. Most of all, it's one of the best ways to maximize athlete intent during a fitness or rehab session. Check out the link in the description to learn more about VTruve today. Okay, we are back for part two. This part is a a special kind of outro for clinicians only. So if you're a PT, AT, um, primary care physician, sports physician, this is specifically for you. Um, Jess, you kind of talked about a little bit about your story already, but 
Can you kind of talk to the specifics as to why you started treating concussions and studying concussions specifically? Sure. Yeah. We started a concussion program at my old job, the New Jersey Center of Physical Therapy, uh, somewhere between 2010 and 2013. And I started seeing patients uh, in that capacity. We had a wonderful one-on-one clinic model. Uh, and I had a couple of patients that just kind of didn't get better in that seven to 10 day period that was written in the literature at the time. And with that being said, um, I experienced my own brain injury in 2013. I was hit by an unlicensed driver on October 3rd, 2013 um, in New York City. And what I thought was, quote unquote, just a concussion uh, based off of my you know, data in clinic and you know, seeing some folks with persistent symptoms in the clinic and rehabbing them, um, I underwent 10 to 14 hours of rehab a week for 14 months. Um, so from there, that was just my passion. I said, this is it. I'm going to go door to door and knock on like hospitals door, clinicians door, anyone who's going to hear the story. And how can we educate folks that, you know, concussion is a rehabilitative injury and how can we share the story to also say like, Hey, this can also be the face of brain injury. And it doesn't have to be this whole stigmatized, Mm -hmm. um, you know, injury as well. How can we advocate for folks who are struggling, who live with day to day, um, deficits and, and things like that, uh, like myself, and, you know, how can we educate folks on how to help and treat folks, uh, again, that have cognitive, neurological, orthopedic, um, you know, physiological deficits, you know, related to brain injury. So how can we support them uh, 360? I, I, I completely agree because um, the whole concussion rehabilitation need, needs a whole new rebrand, a whole new, they need a whole marketing team. Uh, behind this because the stigma is actually very big. Like, you know, every time you think about concussion, like people always think about sports, but most of the people I've seen in the, at the clinic with concussion are people from motor vehicle accident, your day-to-day mm-hmm. rear ending, um, any sort of car accident, people always, uh, people like seems to have like some sort of like minor concussion uh, 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 symptoms, like, it doesn't just have to be sport, you know. Your 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 regular grandma who's been a car in a car accident, um, been treated to PT for like I don't know two two months, um, for for musculoskeletal strain, but grandma's still having symptoms, still having headaches, um, and they can't figure out what's going on. Well, you know, some sometimes those are the signs of concussion, and those things needs to be addressed. It's not just sports. It can just be your, your regular person. Mm. Right. And, you know, falls are, falls are the leading cause of, of traumatic brain injury and concussion in this country. Uh, motor vehicle crashes. I try to uh, move away from the accident. We're trying to move away from the word accident. So MVC, uh, move motor vehicle crash. Um, and then, you know, from a sports standpoint, we're looking at, you know, girls uh, soccer having higher rates of concussion than boys football. Um, and on t- and wrestling being number one in the NCAA. Uh, mm-hmm. And on top of that, we're looking at globally, we're looking at um, horseback riding to being the number one cause of oh. concussion as well. Hmm. So, you know, things like that, that we aren't even aware of. But yeah, falls are the leading cause of concussion in this country. Wow. Now, Man, who falls you know, a lot? Yep, the elderly. Yeah, and yeah, then, the elderly. 
And then what we're seeing there is we're also seeing misdiagnosis, which is why the clinician in the rehab facility with direct access is so very important uh, that physical therapist with direct access that's doing an intake, you know, because they are maybe triaging the trauma after it was mm-hmm. handled in the, in the ED in the emergency department. But then it's like, okay, they treated the big nasty, the thing that could have killed somebody, you know, with an AVN or femoral neck fracture that needs to get pinned and is a big surgery and it was dramatic, but someone might have missed a concussion Mm. or someone had a car crash and they missed the concussion because they had lacerations all over the face and there was blood everywhere. Hmm. So, you know, or same thing on the soccer field, you know, head to head collisions and they missed the concussion because there was a laceration over the eyebrow. So all these things need to be triaged. um, And we find psychologists doing intakes, you know, three months down the line with people with persistent symptoms that feel, you know, um, a certain type of way, like they're losing their minds, you know, after, and they may not have been told that they have a head injury. I've, I've seen that, you know, yeah, many I've, a time. I've, I've seen that uh-huh. plenty of time. Actually on a patient of mine, she started crying in the clinic. She's frustrated. Um, you know, I mentioned to her during the initial eval that, you know, with, with car accident, uh, people experience concussion. Of course, you know, I didn't do my due diligence to explain what concussion is. And then she, you know, she nod in, in agreement. And then two months later, like she's frustrated. She's like, I don't understand. Like, you know, I used to be like cheery and happy. And now I'm just like, you know, like a, like a real old lady. My, my husband is nice to me and I'm screaming at him for no reason. Like Mm -hmm. my mood, I'm like, my mood is like, I was like, Oh, this is like, (laughs) I was like, this is all like clear sign that she's still, she's still concussed. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I explained now I, I had to explain to her in detail what was going on. And she's like, Oh my God. Like, I thought I was going crazy. Like I thought like, she's like, no, this is a, you know, you're not going crazy. These are, you know, some, some classic signs of concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to like call a doctor and then, uh, they, they got her into a concussion clinic and then she had to basically stop therapy to focus on the concussion. So, mm-hmm. so that was nice. Yeah. And I think the the inverse thing can happen as well. We see the same thing in men. We see, you know, becoming emotionally labile and that's not normal. That's AB normal mm. uh, for folks. And that's very painful for folks. And then they become recluse. So then people start to see the either anger or the uh, pulling back. And then they that's what they see. Um, and they're just like, oh, something's not right with, you know, Tom or, or Sarah. And but in fact, that psychological or psychiatric um, uh, history is actually related to potentially somatic symptoms that are driving their fear avoidant behavior um, or anger or, um, you know, emotional liability and things like that. So it's again, not asking someone if they've had a concussion because they've never, never, maybe have never been diagnosed, but Hey, have you ever seen stars? Did you ever fall off a bar stool when you're in college? And did you ever have a headache after that? Those are all concussions. So, um, you know, we need to make sure that we're, we're setting our patients up for success. And the number one thing I educate about is that we make sure that we are validating, that we are validating the patient's symptom profile that's in front of us so that in order so we can make that, build that rapport and make those breakthroughs and treat those patients. So we, we talked a lot about what patients and soccer players may not know about concussion. But what are some common things that the, I mean, most PTs out there were in outpatient ortho or outpatient sports. Um, what what are we missing? Like, what are the key things we should know about concussion that we might not right now? Right. So the number one thing I see from an outpatient orthopedic physical therapist is that they're just treating the neck. Mm-hmm. 
and they're doing mm-hmm. what they know best because they do it really well. Hmm. Um, and at the same time, they're missing the 360. So it's kind of seeing the trees through the forest and vice versa. So we want to make sure that we're doing a 360 degree comprehensive targeted physical examination on these folks. And we can start with an article out of Sports Health by Matuzak and Letty et al., um, you know, called the Buffalo Concussion Toolbox. That's a great place to start to read up on things, read up on the British Journal of Sports Medicine. But what happens is, is that when people in absence of education, they're unaware that um, the SCAT-5 is not something that should be done besides the sideline and or within the first 48 to 72 hours. So people are SCAT-5ing these, these kids to death, and it just doesn't make any sense from a Uh, sensitivity specificity standpoint. So we need to understand that we need to look at these folks 360. Concussion is a clinical diagnosis only, and we need to look at them from an orthostatic vital standpoint, from a physiologic standpoint, from a cervical spine standpoint, which again, we do really well, but also looking at the vestibular oculo and the vestibular spinal um, reflexes as well. And remembering that balance is not just a bottom up, it's also a top down. And that's where orthopedic physical therapists tend to get a little uh, nervous or naivete, not because they don't know how to do these things. It's because they don't practice them often enough. So how do we then educate folks to, Hey, let's tap into these skill sets again. Let's re-educate and brush up on our cranial nerve exams, you know, fundoscopy, you know, pupil reactivity, smooth pursuits, mm-hmm. repetitive saccades, yep. VOR, near point of convergence. Mm-hmm. And again, these things can take five to seven minutes if done, um, you know, in absence of symptom or, you know, patients getting sick in front of you. So, you know, again, we understand how to do a vestibulospinal complex tandem gait, you know, to assess that, but really getting into the vestibulo-ocular component, looking at the physiological aspects as well, using a buffalo concussion physical exam, um, a buffalo concussion um, treadmill test or bike test, depending on what their vestibular involvement or abilities are, Um, or if you have access in the clinic or not, whether it be from a physical uh, mobility issue, from a socioeconomic standpoint, or from other concomitant injuries or comorbidities going on that may restrict them from those things. So again, looking at, you know, the visuo-vestibular system, the cervical spine, the physiological system, uh, including orthostatic vitals, um, and understanding how to talk to people about pace-graded exposure on how to return to life after living with a brain injury because they may not understand that their symptom profiles may be to have delayed symptom onset. And that's where folks start to feel crazy. They don't understand that, you know, complex visual environments like a mall or a supermarket may actually, they mm-hmm. may see things jumping off the shelves like oscillopsia. And, you know, you, you feel like you dropped LSD, but in fact, that's a neurological sign and symptom of a brain injury. And that that is, um, you know, something that we do see that's not normal, but that's something that we do see in brain injury. So uh, really trying to get the orthopedic physical therapist to just step away from the neck and look at that patient 360 uh, and have the resources to refer out on day one, uh, which we do very well, uh, especially as residency trained or orthopedic clinical specialists. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting. I, you know, it's 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 definitely something that's needed. Um, the the whole of 360 approach that you mentioned, because when I was an intern, I was in my last rotation, um, and we had this girl who played soccer and had a concussion, and I was doing a vestibular uh, assessment, and like the 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 clinic manager was asking me, he's like, "What are you doing?" It's like, "Yeah, you know, she has a concussion, so I need to check her vestibular," and it was like a whole new thing. <laughs> and we're we talking like we're we talking like. 2018, like December 2018. 
Yeah, so and this will happen that, in July of 2022 ago. as well. So it's again, it, it, yeah, it taps into people's fear and anxiety and ego. Um, you know, so it's why really just layering this information, just like making people aware of like their own biases and cognitive blind spots um, is really important to, to just kind of let people know, hey, there may be a better way. Uh, to screw that screw. We may, may not need yeah. to do a hammer, but we can maybe use a screwdriver and, and here are the tools that are free open access for you. And they may actually be more efficient for your um, your clinic time as well once you get these skills down. So Yeah, because, um, you know, it doesn't take, it really doesn't take that long. Um, one, other thing, one thing I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know about assessing the blood pressure part. Like, what am I expecting to find uh, with somebody who's con- con- concussed and I take their blood pressure or their vital sign? What what am I expecting to find here? Because this is new to me. Yeah. So we're looking for autonomic dysfunction. So essentially what we're looking is for, you know, anyone that's uh, with an AB normal heart rate, you know, it's usually tachycardic to some mm-hmm. uh, point. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also looking for, you know, orthostatic vitals as well. Um, and that's a little bit more uh, in depth than we probably have time to go okay. in. But we actually see that from, uh, a, you know, a nervous system standpoint, we actually see changes <clears throat> in the response um, to, you know, how the, the whole system, you know, responds to stress, uh, and that stress looking at orthostatic vitals, which we all know how to do from basic acute care 101. Mm-hmm. Um, we bring that into the outpatient setting, uh, in a 14 year old, seemingly healthy child, uh, we will often see, um, AB normal responses with orthostatic vitals and, uh, physiological, uh, responses that should be, uh, normal in a healthy young athletic population and, you know, even 30, 40, 50 year olds, um, we do tend to see um, AB normal responses in orthostatic vitals. And we try to uh, tease that out with doing um, Buffalo concussion treadmill and bike tests um, are really mm-hmm. helpful to assess the physiological system in that capacity. Mm. Now, I just, I always thought, sorry, and I always thought um, I do the, the, the treadmill, uh, but I always thought um, it's just, you know, let's see if she can get like, let's see if we can exacerbate her symptom with the treadmill and let's know the, let's take a note on the time at which she experienced. And I was always looking for headaches for some reason, but I mm-hmm. never thought about checking the other vital signs. So that's good to know. Yeah. And that's a, an objective uh, measure that's, that's has very clear parameters uh, for the Buffalo concussion um, treadmill and bike test. Um, you know, which Dr. Letty has put out there into the world and, um, you know, they're, they're very systematic ways, you know, we prepare and review any contraindications, uh, you know, we need a treadmill with a 15 degree incline. It's adaptable to 12 degrees if needed. They have a heart rate monitor on, we have a Borg RPE with a 10 point Likert scale Mm. and a recording sheet. And we basically document the concussion VAS and they walk on a treadmill starting at 3.2 miles per hour at zero degree incline. And then we progressively increase that by one degree per minute until 15 minutes, uh, with, then we increase it by speed. So we're looking at, you know, frequency and intensity duration, and then we're documenting the symptom exacerbation, um, you know, as needed. And, you know, we're terminating that test if any, you know, symptoms uh, beyond two on the Likert scale um, exacerbate. So, you know, it's important to connect to that. And the same thing with the bike test. Uh, again, it's a very systematic, subjective um, you know, way to, to do and document, excuse me, it's an increase of three or more points on the VAS, but uh, it's a very systematic, you know, um, 
way to do things and very objective. Um, and it really helps, especially with third party payers who may not believe or workers comp or, uh, you know, uh, motor vehicle, you know, third party payers and things like that who don't believe the patient is ill. Uh, you cannot, uh, you cannot fake uh, visio vestibular um, uh, neurological that is true. Uh, things yeah. or these physiological tests and measures. So we need to be the one advocating and, 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 um, uh, uh, for, for these folks and especially low load cardiovascular activity um, really bathes the brain and uh, this neurotrophic protein called BDNF that helps with memory, that helps with mood, that helps with all the things. Uh, and we know that, you know, especially with folks who usually do get some kind of depression, whether it be clinical or not, after a head injury, um, exercise is a really wonderful thing. And if it can be used as an objective tool and measure to not only help, but treat uh, and be both prognostic and diagnostic, it's a really nice place to be, um, you know, to have these tools. Hmm. Now, we, we've talked a lot about diagnosis a little bit with treatment. Um, we're obviously going to tie this into your Concussion Corner Academy. Um, tell us just a little bit about that and why it's important for both clinicians who have a deep-rooted interest in neuro and also PTs like me and Burr who like are on the more ortho sports side. Like, Tell us more about it in general. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think as you guys are kind of, you know, uh, going through your own self-discovery right now on this late Thursday evening mm -hmm. um, of maybe your own uh, blind spots and cognitive biases of concussion and what that means and what it's defined as and how it's treated and, and objective tools and measures, um, that's a... The, your experience right now, these aha Oprah moments that you're having with yourselves right now and how you can improve yourself for your patients next day uh, is exactly why I formed the Concussion Corner Academy is, you know, our podcast was in over 60, um, 60 countries and we've been interviewing some of the best in the world, like the best in the world. And essentially I was like, okay, I truly believe, and I, I said this 10 years ago and I'll say this today in 2022, um, the concussion patient of today is, I believe to be um, more mismanaged than well cared for. There's a greater uh, rate of mismanaged patients in concussion than they're the very well cared for patient. Mm. So I created this mission-driven online community seeking to change outcomes with research while helping direct access clinicians improve their knowledge of the concussion injury. And this is acute to chronic and from peds to geriatric. Mm. So our goal is just simply to improve overall awareness and quality of care for concussion patients across the globe with robust educational programming. I have live open office hours with myself uh, two to three times per week. We have nonprofit partnerships because most everybody else is underfunded. Um, so our first nonprofit partnership was Head Foundation, um, which are three folks like myself, uh, Josephine Pucci, Danny Otto, and Paige Decker. They all went to Ivy League um, uh, Division One hockey schools. The two women were uh, on the cusp of going to the Olympics, and they both suffered their concussions, not only missing a semester of school, almost didn't finish their, their college education, uh, overall did, but had to stop playing hockey. Um, and these injuries changed the trajectory of their lives. So uh, my 
goal is to just facilitate collective competence across the healthcare continuum by nurturing these interdisciplinary thought leaders across disciplines in compassionate care and psychologically safe educational environments, essentially to enhance that provider patient experience in concussion care. Because again, as I'll say very um, emphatically, I really do believe that the concussion patient of today it's the same set statement I made 10 years ago is continues to be mis- more mismanaged. The prevalence of mismanagement is higher than the well cared for patient. So we really want to try to advance this community support. Uh, and we had phenomenal reviews from our beta program. Uh, we had a sold out cohort, uh, which was unbelievable. We sold out in six weeks with announcing like a, a business that didn't exist. Um, and I'm very grateful for our, our first inaugural students Um and so now we're actually building the infrastructure and we're going to have courses in September of 2022 and January of 2023, our 12-week course, um, which is literally designed for the healthcare professional. So it's two to three hours per week. That's it. You show up for a live component on Sunday morning. Uh, for, we're going to have a, a 75 to 90 minutes now um, as opposed to 60. It was actually feedback from our students. They wanted to have a little bit more time with our faculty. Uh, and we have some of the best faculty in the world from Dr. Christina Master out of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, uh, John J. Letty, who's on the International Consensus Statement, Lenore Herget, um, who is out of MGH Harvard. She's the uh, physio that sees every single concussion uh, for the professional sports teams in Boston. Uh, Becky Bliss is uh, uh, new to our faculty coming on. She's on our clinical prediction guidelines. She's publishes all over with concussions. She's phenomenal. Dustin Fink started the concussion blog. He's an athletic trainer. And we have Brenda Egan Johnson, who does our return to learn section, who got her educational doctorate at Johns Hopkins. So we are like um, all about this beta one program. Our beta two program will be in fall of 2023, incorporating like neuropsych, OT speech, um, you know, and things like that, a little bit more advanced uh, topics. Uh, to kind of round this out in our beta programs. And then I think the trajectory is kind of where the stars take us. Um, But we're doing our own research on ourselves. We're giving that data away to the University of Missouri. Uh, We have a full IRB approval to study our students. So Andy, you'll be a part of our study. Um, (laughs) And we're looking at self-efficacy in uh, our students to make sure that we're we're educating folks amongst the gold standard, you know, educating them, you know, motivating them, showing up for folks with live uh, office hours if they need a little bit one-on-one, if they, they're not comfortable in the group setting on, on the weekend. So uh, we're just trying to do it well and, and show up for the, com- the concussion community. So y- you guys made the the Avengers of concussion can care. Uh. Like. <laughs> and, uh, that is awesome because we are about to go watch <laughs> Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> that that is really cool. I, I am actually really pumped and psyched to to be a student of y'all's. Um, and um, yeah, so so you guys are actually you're you're now partners of the show, and we do have an affiliate link and that you guys will be able to see in the description to this episode. So if any of you are PTs or athletic trainers or anyone like Jess said, who is on the rehabilitation side of concussion, um, definitely check that out. And if you do decide to go through and join the course, maybe with me, this cohort, um, be sure to use our link to support the show. And um, we would love that. And, you know, we're, we're a very growing and organic podcast and we would love all the support we can. Um, Jess, I know there's other, some really important things that we both think we both think are important to hit on. Um, this is not a certification, is that right? And why is that? Why is it special for you to hit on? Yeah, I think you know. I, I basically called in all the the 
the big dogs and, um, you know, essentially there is, um, I believe to be some nef- kind of nef- unintentionally nefarious stuff that happens out there in the brain injury community. Uh, and we need to make sure that we are pushing that we're not, you know, providing these weekend certifications, uh, you know, in the realm of brain injury. And the reason being is because a good marketing scheme, you know, on an international or domestic basis um, is, doesn't mean that the treatment is going to be the best care for that patient. And again, our patients with brain injuries are unable to advocate for themselves or have the uh, neuro fatigue or the energy or the cognitive capacity to find the best care uh, and have to navigate third-party payers and things like that. So we want to make sure that folks are seeing an interdisciplinary rehabilitative team, um, you know, with multiple players in the game so that they un- we understand that this is not just one um provider providing, you know, doing all the things. And while physical therapists can do so many of the things really well, um, we want to make sure that we're working with OTs and speech therapists and school nurses and physicians and athletic trainers um, and neuropsychologists as needed um, and, and so many more social work. You know, again, it can take a it can take a village. So we just want to make sure that everyone understands, hey, here's what I can do as a physio. Here's what you can do as a physician. Here's what you can do as an AT. Here's how we can interact together. Um, and here's how we can treat our mutual patient, not your patient, not my patient, but our mutual patient. Uh, and we're delivering evidence-based clinician scientists, people in the clinic uh, delivering you know, th- these treatment paradigms and educational, and they are as motivated and stoked as I am to deliver this. Um, so I called in you know, the shots. I'm like, hey, I've got this idea. Uh, I've got no funding right now. We're looking for grants and sponsorships and, and things like that to get this off the ground. But for right now for our beta one, we did okay. Um, I left 32 people on a wait list because I wanted to make sure I could manage all of the things it takes to manage an academy. Uh, and just so you know, we are fully CEU'd in um, all 50 states applied. We had 18 states in our first and two countries. We have uh, in our new cohort for the fall, we have a physician from Australia joining us. Um, you know, and we're we can CEU nursing. OT, speech, social work um, as well. We are CEU'd right now for physical therapists and athletic trainers, uh, and that's 24 hour of CEU. Um, So we're here to do it and do it well uh, and to shine a light on the concussion community. Wow. Yeah. I I am super excited. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, um, I like how you specify this is not a certification because uh, (laughs) it seems like as of late, you know, people can, going through a three-day course and get certified and all of a sudden um, um, the full-on expert. Yes. And yeah. And, and uh, you'll, you'll hear from me that I am not an expert in anything, but maybe a, a good slice of pizza and a craft beer on the weekend. So um, I come <laughs> I, at this for the, I come at my career with a very humble approach, but I love talking about concussion. Yeah. I will challenge you on the pizza element. I, I okay. can hold my own as well. We could, you know, we should make a we should make a pizza course. That is is easy. is New York pizza the best pizza? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yes. I don't know. I feel like absolutely. it's biased. I think New Jersey's <laughs> is better, but that's just me. But um, New Jersey, New Jersey has some excellent pizza in Hoboken, actually, and New Jersey does have some good pizza. And I'll give it to actually New Haven as well. New Haven actually does have a, a, a solid slice of pizza. I've heard so. good things. I've heard good things. Yes. Yeah. So, but, um, so yeah, yeah, Jess, thank you so much for yeah, coming on the show. Great. You definitely, sh- yeah, gave so much knowledge. 
Uh, once again, if you guys are interested in the course, link is in our description. Check it out. Help the show by by using that link. And um, hopefully we can get some more some more rehab professionals in the course with us. And um, if you guys do happen to join, I, I will be very, very happy to to learn alongside you in this cohort starting in what is it September? I believe September. Yes, we'll let yeah. the um, these two these next two cohorts. One is going to be September fourth, so we let you in on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend. Um, again, it's designed for the working healthcare professional. So the uh, sixty to ninety minutes, depending on the week, is um, on demand. You can listen to it like a podcast in your car. You can sit at it with your iPad. You can put it up on an Apple TV um, or you know uh, Amazon Stick. You know any which way you you learn best. Uh, we encourage space repetition. And then you come in with us live where you actually sit with myself and uh, all of our doctors and athletic trainer uh, on the weekend for, uh, we are actually now giving 75 minutes of allocated time versus 60 because that was a, like huge feedback for uh, our first, our cohort. They actually wanted to spend more time with us on Sundays. Um, so we'll have about, we'll have 90 minutes. We'll, we'll spend a hard 75 with the faculty. Uh, and then we just have announcements at the end and then you guys kind of get on your way. Um, but we had in our first cohort, uh, from New York to Virginia, Maryland, or the South, all the way to Alaska. We had folks, you know, wake up with us for a 6am start time, uh, in Alaska. We start at 10 o'clock in the morning Eastern. Um, so it allows you to have your day, spend time with family, go work out, you know, have brunch, uh, and still kind of get motivated to learn and be a part of the program. And all that we ask for uh, these beta programs is that you submit one question per week uh, through a Google form, and then we show up together and, and participate in class on the weekend. Nice. Well, yeah, Jess, once again, thank you so much for for coming on the show. Guys, I hope you you enjoyed every ounce of knowledge and um, real quick, Jess, if the people have questions, where can they find you? I know you're on social media, so give us your handles real quick. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's easiest to find me at DPT to go. So it's like doctor physical therapy, DPT to number two go, um, at, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And then we're concussion corner on Instagram and concussion corner on Twitter without an E at the end on Twitter. Cause they have a limitation on characters. So concussion mm -hmm. corner, uh, C O R N R on Twitter, but, um, yeah, we're happy to, we're going to start getting back into our own podcast. We have about 14 episodes recorded that haven't been released because it's been, uh, it's taken a village to build an Academy. So, uh, a fully CEU Academy, I should say. So, um, it's just me running the show. So I, I really appreciate, uh, my office manager, Christina and my partner in life and business, Carolina, who does all of the graphics and, uh, motion graphics and editing for, for me. So, and for, for you guys. Nice. Perfect. Well, um, thank you all for listening and we will see y'all next week. Peace out.